This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. The great Ukrainian-born pianist Vladimir Horowitz said, Without false modesty, I feel that when I am on stage, I am the king, the boss of the situation. Horowitz was more than the boss. He was a legend. Rachmaninoff called him the greatest pianist of the 20th century. Arturo Benedetti Michelangeli, Marta Argerich, Claudio Arau, Leon Fleischer. These are some of the pianists we look to for the most dynamic and thrilling pianistic journeys of our time. But what about the 21st century? Who are the great interpreters of our present day? And most importantly, can anyone walk on stage and feel that, like Horowitz proclaimed, I am the king and the boss? I have interviewed many great artists on center stage. Some will admit with subtle honesty that they are perpetually bound to discover the range of their interpretive talents. But I feel with confidence that all will profess that they are the stewards of a musical line to create a direct connection with our souls. Well, my guest today is pianist Reed Tetzloff. I have always felt that he is a pianist who has the ability to bring us into his profound world of musical excellence and creation. Gramophone Magazine speaks of his ebullient virtuosity. The Cincinnati Inquirer proclaims that Reed Tetzloff enthralls audiences with his magical tone. In the 15th International Tchaikovsky Competition, the Russian media compared his performances to those of Van Cliburn and dubbed him the lyric hero of the competition. His first CD, Sounds of Transcendence, explored the music of Charles Griffiths, Scriabin, and César Franck. It was a triumph with rave reviews. And now, during the pandemic, Reed Tetzloff has released Schumann. Like Marta Argerich and Murray Pariah before him, he has been lured into the hypnotic realm of Schumann's lyrical and somewhat troubled world. Reed Tetzloff is simply one of the brightest stars in a new generation of musicians, and he is here with me today, so I'm going to welcome Reed. Good morning, and welcome back to Center Stage. Thank you, Pamela. Good morning. I'm really pleased to be back here on Center Stage. I'm thrilled to have you. Where Where are you speaking from at this moment, Reed? I'm I'm in New York City right now, in Manhattan. And how ha- have you been in New York during the pandemic? Uh, yeah, through most of it. Um, yeah, for a while at the beginning, I uh, was out of town, but I've been back for the last gosh, almost a year now. Um, so yeah, it's it's been interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, of course, no no concerts, but they're just starting to come back now. I have some um, with live audiences this summer, which is going to be a lot of fun. That must be like a ray of light to you. It, it is, yeah, yeah. And you know, I've been keeping busy, of course, um, despite you know the lack of concerts. I've done plenty of you know online uh, concerts and um, also this recording, and just keeping <laughs> keeping up with uh, you know keeping up with things and practicing, learning repertoire. So, 
and keeping up with who you are. You know, that's right. Yeah, this has been a tough time for all performers of all disciplines, and and yeah, I want to yeah. know. You know, you talk about the last year. We, you know, it's interesting. We talk about the last year and a half. You know, for right. well, from when all the theaters went black on on Friday the thirteenth, March thirteenth, yep. yep. some time ago. It was a sorry time for all performers. I can't believe it's been this long, Reed, but I want to know, because I, I do feel that everyone has either had to search for a silver lining, you know, amidst all the grief involved with this, but I want to know how you've used your time in this era, and I'm going to call it an era, because I think we'll be looking back at this time as one of growth for many musicians. I think so, yeah, and I, I, I hope so. I mean, it's definitely crazy to look back on those days and to think that, you know, 15 months later or 14 months later here we are we're calling it an era because we were all thinking oh you know by may of last year you know it will be back to normal <laughs> and first. it wasn't you know yeah no not at all but uh yeah i at the beginning of the time of course we were all sort of in this haze where we didn't know what was going to happen next but mm. somehow i felt that I, I i never really lost the desire to play or to focus and i actually you know, really kept on myself, um, at the, especially at the beginning. I was just going through a ton of repertoire. Not, I don't know how productive it was, but I was just <laughs> kind of getting my fingers around, you know, a thousand different pieces. Um, well, not that many, but <laughs> but yeah, lots of pieces. And uh, Schumann was one of the first, you know, real companions during that time. Mm. Actually, I learned several pieces by Schumann. And uh, I guess that kind of led to this this CD in a way. Um, I love that you yeah. use the word companion. So did yeah. Schumann just come to the top, or is this a composer who, who you wanted to search, you know, into further, and he just kind of called to you? Well, some some of both. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, I didn't really get Schumann, and then I heard a performance of Kreisleriana, which is one of the other you know, piano cycles, and um, I was kind of dumbfounded sitting in the audience thinking oh my god this music is a soundtrack to life you know really? <laughs> that was the phrase that that came to mind and it has this you know not only this personal emotional element i mean I, it has that but it's it's beyond that because it's not just as if the music is happy or sad or anxious or joyful or something it's it's something um that goes to a deeper level it's, it's music that needs to be psychoanalyzed almost that's how it strikes me anyway. Interesting. That there are these layers of personality and, and character in it that, um, you know, you can never quite grasp. But mm -hmm. the journey of looking into that is extremely interesting. Well, can, can you speak to us a little bit, especially yeah. for those who aren't really familiar with Robert Schumann, the man? Sure. You know, he went through so many different struggles in his life. And, right. and one was this deep, deep depression, which which right. I believe today we might call bipolarism. Um, yeah. uh, can, can, can you share some of your th thoughts about the sure. man? Sure. Yeah, there's, there's that. And I think, um, I mean, I think it's generally accepted now that uh, he actually contracted syphilis when he was quite young and then it kind of degraded his mind over the over the course of his life like Schubert. Mm -hmm. um, he made it he he lived a little longer than Schubert did. He died at forty six. But um yeah, he would have, you know, auditory and visual hallucinations and, you know, the feelings of being pursued by spirits and things like this. But um at the carnival which I which I actually learned during the beginning of the pandemic is 
one of his early works and um you know mentally he was he was you know the the spirits were not pursuing him as as uh, <laughs> determinedly at that point but but it's still a really interesting piece because i don't know how to put this the best way but it's one of those pieces that it's kind of overplayed and it's mm. You know, I used to, I remember at Manus where I went to my, where I went to school for my bachelor's and master's degrees, I would hear the beginning of Carnival, which we just played on the show here. <laughs> I would hear mm-hmm. that coming out of every, every other practice room at times. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but for some reason that piece grabbed me almost more than, uh, than, the, you know, Christ Lariano or the C major fantasy um, when I looked into it because it's, well, it's a depiction of a masked ball. Uh, Mardi Gras mass ball and when I kind of dug into it I realized that it is an expression of this duality because there is the outward world that you see you know with the masked people and by the way here we are talking about masks of course isn't that ironic yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, but the mask and then something behind the mask so mm. you know when the music is perhaps maybe the music sounds playful but under that playful mask there is something darker or vice versa and uh it's hard to really get to the bottom of it but it really grabbed me that's really that's really interesting because i understand that schumann was both an activist and a poetic dreamer Mm -hmm. and can you can can you go on about that a little bit sure sure i mean he was um he was a very well respected journalist actually a music journalist and um he really helped the careers of several uh, several other musicians, composers, including Chopin. Um, he famously you know, an- announced that Chopin was a genius um, around 1830, I think, when Chopin would have... Well, they were both 20. They were born in the same year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and that was an interesting <laughs> relationship because Chopin didn't get Schumann's music at all. He, he really you know, didn't even like it. <laughs> but, Such a pity. Uh, yeah, but he was, but Schumann, anyway, Schumann was a very literary man. His first passion was literature, and he was, you know, one of the most well, well-read composers. There's this, um, you know, novelistic inspirations that run through so much of his music. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's also a big factor. And I understand that, that he and several other of his friends established a group called the Davidsbund, um, an artistic yeah. group that Schumann helped establish. And it was really a, kind of an anti-establishment at the time, wasn't it? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Da- Davidsbund, um, Society of David, which fights against, you know, the Philistines, Elias. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, that's actually part of Carnival um, and part of his other pieces. I mean, he has a whole cycle called David's Bundlatanta, the dances of League of David. And um, in Carnival, it ends with the march of the David's Bund um, against the Philistines. And it's um, some of it's very funny. He puts in this this um, theme. It's written in this core theme of the 17th century, and it has this very pompous theme that must have been, uh, I don't even know where exactly where it comes from, I, or I can't remember, but uh, represents the old-fashioned Pharisees, you know, being defeated by this on rushing um, new um, new society that's mm-hmm. representing the new values in art that Schumann wanted to to promote. So 
really interesting because I think in a yeah. way it shows his split personality. I mean, he yep. related to Floristan and Eusebius and, and he talks about mm-hmm. that, you know, two completely different characters. And maybe we were getting an insight in, into Robert Schumann's massive depression that would eventually kill him. Um, right. It's it's very interesting to me. Um, so yeah. what else do we have on the CD? Well, we have um, well, we have the first sonata, which is an equally large work and composed mm. uh, pretty much at the same time as Carnival, slightly later. Um, although maybe actually, I think it was begun a little before. They're basically written at the same time. And uh, then we have two works, two shorter works from a few years later, from 1839, the Arabesque in C major and the Romance, Opus 28, Number Two. These were written um, a year before Robert and Clara Schumann were finally married. Um, the other, the larger pieces on the CD date from uh, the period either before they were even together or when they were first together and, their, and Clara's father was forbidding them to see each other. Um, but these two pieces uh, come from later and they sort of represent a different side, a softer mm-hmm. side of Schumann. But uh, the arabesque especially also has some <laughs> this quality of being hard to grasp that I, I love. Um, Is that why you chose it, Reed? Yeah, I think so. It has, um, a, it's a rondo. It has a theme that comes back uh, over and over, and um, then minor key episodes which sort of represent the forest on side. And at the mm-hmm. end, there's this beautiful touch which just never fails to move me. There's this sort of epilogue, and kind of a feature that I find in a lot of Schumann's music, this epilogue or the sense that at the end of the piece, he tells you, oh, now this was the answer, this is the truth, or this is the moral of the story. And uh, I think that's a really beautiful touch in the arabesque. You know, it happens also in, actually in um, Frauenliebe, the cycle, you know, when the piano has the epilogue. And it happens <laughs> and, as well in the Dichterliebe. And the Dichterliebe. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. We get these profound so, postludes that, that seem to right. wrap everything up together to, to at least yeah. give us the illusion that there's going yeah. to be a happy ending. Right, um, right. Yeah. That's it, it totally really what happens in Arabesque, yeah. Well, let's hear a bit of the Arabesque right now. And this is right. from Reed Tetzloff's new recording entitled Schumann.
ladies and gentlemen, that is the playing of pianist Reed Tetzloff, who I have with me today on center stage with Pamela Kuhn. Reed, you know, there's always an element in Schumann's playing to me that he's asking particular questions all the time, you know? Is, yep. is, is it left for us to answer them, or is he answering it within the music? That's a great question, and I don't know, I some things are better left as questions. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how to say that, I, how to answer that. Um, mm. I feel that, you know, the answers are changing every time I, you know, return to this music, basically. And I, I really do see it differently. And that's one of the, you know, differently each time. That's one of the attractions of it to me, because I feel like it's just so multi-layered and multi-dimensional. And also that that's true musically. I mean, just with the the practical factors of how he writes out the music you know the rhythms that he um plays against one and you know one another in between the hands and the different you know the harmonic adventurousness mm-hmm. of the music there's just so much um you know there's just so much going on there that. is so much going on it's interesting his music to me is very approachable and of course i i, I know you as the ideal musician who is always singing <laughs> through your uh, musical line and i relate robert schumann to his many songs i mean in 1840, right. he turned out the most unbelievable compositional power of songs, you know. And oh, incredible, yeah. It, it really, really incredible. And it's interesting that that was during the time when he was seeing the reality of his potential marriage to Clara Vick right. to, to really come to be after fighting right. all those years with her father. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how ridiculously galling. Um, right. And I understand that he was quite insecure about his own public profile because his wife's, as uh, uh, the solo pianist that she was, was so great. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Um, and I mean, she really saved his, you know, much of his music. I think I don't mm. know if, how well we would even know his music if she had not, you know, promoted it as as she did in all of her concerts and. Um, you know, and then of course she made the you know all of the additions of the piano music after he died. She edited everything and kind of put it together. So we have a great depth to her. And uh, you know, apart from what she did for her husband, she was one of the greatest pianists of all time. Um, mm. If only we could have heard her play, but <laughs> it was a little too too early for recordings. And and but, what uh, women give up sometimes, you know, to support their counterpart. It's absolutely. And I understand that she performed even when she was pregnant. I mean, she had a oh, yeah. stunning she never, career. She was, she was unstoppable. It was it was uh, something else. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, her and she's all over his music, of course. I mean, all of his, not all of his music, if you count the early, really early things, but mm-hmm. I mean, everything is basically about her. And the sonata that's on the CD, um, he even takes a theme that she composed uh, you know, because she she has a, you know a significant out, output of compositions, mm-hmm. and much of it is really wonderful music that needs to be performed. But anyway, he had, she had written some piano pieces um, as a child or as a teenager, um, and <laughs> the main theme of the first movement of Schumann's first sonata is actually something that Clara had written, and uh, he kind of he kind of uh, redressed it. <laughs> and, uh, he incorporated it. Did he? Incorporated. Right, because but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's necessarily plagiarism because they would have you know they had their whole system of even communicating through correct. music that they would send to one another when they couldn't see each other and there would be a theme that you know represented a secret message from 
one of them to the other that only they understood. I read about and, this, uh, that they had a yeah. code. And Absolutely. it's quite extraordinary. Oh, my gosh. Well, tell me about yeah. where you recorded this wonderful CD. Yeah, sure. I recorded this at uh, in Rockport, Massachusetts, at the Shaolin Liu Performance Center. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a really inspiring location. It's right on the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, there's a huge window behind the piano, which is... When it's open, you uh, when the curtain is open, I mean, you see the ocean like right behind you. Um, so it, incredibly inspiring, and uh, yeah, just a very very beautiful hall. Um, I want to encourage life. everyone yeah. to look up this this amazing performance venue because really I was blown away. Yeah. I have never seen it. I've never been there. It looks like the acoustics were just about perfect with all were, the wood yeah. surfaces. They and, were great. And what what piano were you playing? Uh, it was a Steinway D. Yeah, New York Steinway. Fabulous. So, how long yeah, was, was How great. long did you spend on the recording itself? Um, I spent, gosh, I, I had, uh, well, there were three days, but I actually technically had only spent two days because I had a fun adventure, which is that on the first day I broke a string and knocked <gasps> the piano completely out of tune, and uh, we had to throw out all the takes. Oh, I mean, I tried. No. I tried to continue after breaking the string, but it was hopeless. So we we oh. didn't use anything from the first day, and we used the stuff from the second and third days. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that must have been so difficult. Yeah, it was. It was. It was interesting. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've broken strings when practicing, but I hadn't um, done so in a performance or a recording before. Now, I remember once in one of the soirees by Moonlight that I hosted at my home on my Bosendorfer, in the middle of one of your pieces, you went, oh, the ivories come off the key. I'll never forget that in my life. You're you're absolutely right. So that was not, (laughs) but I I was still telling the truth because that wasn't a broken string. That was something else. (laughs) Thank God for that. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, I guess I, I think I started the piece again. (laughs) <laughs> so was this this project what you you know you yeah. went into covid and you're playing yeah. all these thousands of pieces of music and i'm sure it was <laughs> thousands with you because i know how you are and how focused you are so, <laughs> it felt, felt like it just felt like a new one every day you know and i wasn't really getting very far with any of them but i was getting them in my fingers and then i picked the ones that i really loved <laughs> i love this so schumann yeah. obviously was it and and did you decide then that during covid you would have this huge recording project I didn't decide, you know, instantly, but uh, when the opportunity arose to make a CD, then it was, um, you know, that that felt like a natural choice. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I can only imagine when you decide something, because I know you to be determined, that you, you go into this a thousand percent. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the takes that you do are, are so special to you. It must be very hard to throw them out when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, I try to give try to give um, you know everything that I can in, in every take, I guess, and of course to also to try to play through the whole piece, you know, to play full takes and then draw yeah. out of that so that I'm not patching things too much because I feel like it does make a difference in it how the performance it does. comes across. And can you find when you listen to yourself, you can be detached enough to be objective? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it needs a bit of time after the mm. recording to kind of clean out my ears. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I become very picky, of course, and I become very, um, I actually remember like 
<laughs> this happened more with the first CD I did. I was better the second time, but I would start to hear, I would be listening back to my takes and I would start to hear notes. Like I would start to think that I was playing wrong notes and other people would say, what are you talking about? I've got perfect pitch. You know, I, I know this piece, you're not playing any wrong notes. You're imagining these wrong notes. <laughs> so I think there, you know, there's a possibility that um, you go a little bit crazy in a process yeah. like that. But, this this yeah. is the curse of all uh, recording musicians, I think. Right. Um, right. Reed, how can we find uh, Schumann? How can we find yeah, it out okay. there? It, it's on, okay, it's on all the streaming platforms, Amazon, uh, Spotify, Apple, um, Deezer, Pandora. I, I don't know what what they all are, but it's on those. And um, it's available physically on Amazon and um, masterperformers.com, which is the label, uh, masterperformers.com. And um, I'll be getting a link to it up on my website. Also That's fantastic. So, and yeah. for everyone out there, I'm speaking to Reed Tetzloff, one of the great pianists of this of this era we're in and i think you'll be the defining voice reed in the future and i'm going to watch you with such care i can't wait to see how this cd goes he's the pianist for our tomorrow's folks and i hope that he will continue to own the stages that he dominates i think as horowitz said you're going to be the boss reed well that's uh that's definitely a good feeling to have um and i do love that about concerts because you know they're sitting there they're watching you and you can do what you want (laughs) this is fantastic thank you for being on center stage read always thank you very much for having me everyone look for read tetzloff's recordings of sounds of transcendence and schumann now i hope you'll go to center stage with pamelacoon.com for more information about this show and many others and until we meet again stay safe out there everyone this is pamela coon and the curtain is now down on center stage